All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Turn to chapter 4. All right, so let's talk about what we've been talking about. So if you remember, we are doing an interesting series about the coming storm because we live in an age where it seems like our culture and our world are in chaos. And you'll hear people trying to navigate through that, especially over the last few years when we had COVID going on and now this. And of course, George, aren't you aware of what's going on in Israel right now? Yes, I am. And Jesus is coming back. Well, I kind of told you that a lot of times what you hear from people, the things that are being said, have no basis in the scripture and actually reflect sometimes their ignorance about the issue rather than their knowledge. And so it was basically impressed upon me, you know what, George, you really need to kind of give them an overview about what the Scripture says about the end. So we're in our fourth message. Let me kind of remind you where we've gone so far. So the first week we talked about, from 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul basically says you have everything you need to know where? Right here in the scripture. The second week, we talked about what's happening right now. And that really Jesus tells us that these are the birth pangs. What, what's the birth pangs? Well, that's, that's how the translators translate. If we were to use it today, it would be the pre-contractions, the Braxton Hicks, the pre-birth contractions, the, the preparation. So everything that's going on, no matter how crazy you think it is, and it can't get any worse, it's just the beginning. It's just what's happening. It's just part of normal life. And Jesus then said, and then the end will come. But before that, he talked about every ethnicity, every race, every nation. That's what the word is, ethne, there for nation, not borders. But every people group will come to know the Lord. And we know that we're not anywhere near that right now. There's still 5,000 people groups who don't know the Lord, and half of them are Muslim. So, so what do we do? Well, we got to be witnesses. And then last week we looked at why. Why is the end happening? It's not just some arbitrary thing that happens out of nowhere. God always has a purpose for why he's doing things. And when we talk about the end, the why is a group of people. Israel. That's really what the why is about. That's really what the end is about. It's about God fulfilling something with his people, Israel. So today, we're going to talk about the where. Where does it begin? And, and really, the reason why we've got to do that is because right now, there's a tendency, especially in light of everything that's going on, for you and I as Christians, the world has no clue. Let's just, I'm going to tell you right now, the world has no clue. All right? Because the world thinks that, I remember 40 years ago, that it was going to freeze over, now it's going to be extremely hot, and this, that, or another. I, the world has no clue about the end. But you know what the end says. But the problem is, is we can lose perspective about what the Scripture says about the end. So I've got a couple points I want to show you here, first of all. Here it is. When we see the chaos of our world, our understanding becomes warped. What do you mean, George? 
Well, I've watched it through the years. Depending on what the crisis is, that determines when stuff will happen and where it begins. So I remember very clearly in the 90s, early 90s, George Herbert Walker Bush was the president. You remember that? We entered into the Persian Gulf War, fighting Saddam Hussein. And I remember very clearly in, in, in the Baptist church that I was going to and other churches and, and, and most of the time that we were talking about things is that it was very clear in everybody's mind that the Antichrist was Saddam Hussein. And this was just all the beginning. Okay, let's fast forward. That was 1990, 1991. We're in 2022. How are we doing with that prediction? With that thinking? But today, we have our crises today, our confusion that's going on today, our chaos that's going on today. And again, today you're going to hear so many different things, people telling you that this is the way it is because this is what's going on. I mean, we just had that experience two years ago with COVID. I'm sure you heard that if you got the shot, you were getting the mark of the beast because they injected you with a microchip, right? Did you get that one? Yeah. Now we are two years again, and everybody knows that that's not true, right? So here's what happens. We, we lose perspective because we, we don't really know where it begins. And so we, we get our understanding warped. Oh, by the way, I remember when I was a child, I got a shot, and it did leave a mark. It was a smallpox vaccination. And when I go to Goodman's, I don't have to take my shirt down and show it to buy anything. Do you understand? So we see the, we see the chaos of the world, our understanding becomes war. Why? Tragically, we usually forget who's really in control. Now listen, folks, I'm, I'm just going to say, it is one thing for unbelievers who have no understanding to get totally freaked out about everything. Okay, that's one thing. And we're seeing that, right? Oh, just turn on the news, you see it. But it's a completely different story when you talk about God's people who have his word. You should know who's in control and that the reality is, is that stuff just doesn't happen. And that the end, when Jesus comes back and the events before that aren't just arbitrary. It's not like one day in the future, Jesus says, oh, wow, are we already at that point? Wow. Okay, I guess I got to go. No, it's, that's not the way it is. But we think that sometimes, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, because we look at our chaos, and again, remember we mentioned this last week, the problem is, is we don't like being uncomfortable. As long as we're comfortable, then everything's okay and we know that God's in control. But if things make us uncomfortable, which, by the way, things are making us uncomfortable right now, 
not just economically, not just culturally, not just what we see on the world scene, but what can happen is, is we lose perspective about who's in control. So this is where we're going to talk about today is where. Where does it begin? Well, I think the proper place to go is the scripture. And I think it's interesting because there's a book of the Bible which tells you a lot, and that's the book of Revelation. Yeah, George already knew that. Yeah, but it also tells you where it begins. So I want you to sit with me for a moment. Okay, so if we go... In the book of Revelation, we'll give you a short Revelation lesson. In the book of Revelation, you have chapter 1. Key verse for chapter 1 is, is Paul is told, uh, John is told by Jesus to write the things which are, which are now, and which will be. He gives you the key verse to help you to understand Revelation. The things that you see right now is what? He's seeing Jesus. Boom. The things that are now, those are the letters to the seven churches, chapters 2 through 3. And then begins that next section, that final section, what will be. The things that are coming in the future. Chapter 4 on. This is about the end. When you look at chapter 4 on, it's about the end. Everybody understand that? It's about the end. It's about what's going to take place. Now, here's what I want you to see. The chapter 4 doesn't begin in some office room in Washington. Or in the UN building. Or in Name Your Enemy. Look at where it begins. So let's look, chapter 4. Because we need to be reminded. Here's where it begins. And after this, he's talking about what he saw in chapter 1 and the letters to the churches in chapter 2. He said, after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And I heard the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Okay, so let me just stop. This is not a rapture verse. Some folks like to say this is a rapture verse because he says, come up here and there's a trumpet. First of all, who's he talking to here? John. John, you come up here and see what's going on. And the voice sounded like a trumpet. It's not the last trumpet in, that we see in 1 Thessalonians. So this is not a rapture verse. He's telling John, come up here. I want to show you something. I'm going to show you what's going to take place. Let's go on. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carolinian. And, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes and lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as is, were a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, 
full of eyes and around and within and, and the day and the night, and they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him whose lives who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, folks, we need to be reminded. You need to... Get your focus back where it needs to be this morning. Because when you look at the news, it's chaos. When you look at what's happening, it doesn't make sense. When you see and have discussions with people in the community, and all of a sudden they're talking about things you never thought anybody would ever talk about before, and you're like, what is going on? What is happening? I don't understand what's going on. And when you look at what's going politically or whatever, I, I'm trying to tell you when you see all of that, and it's like we're overwhelmed. Aren't you overwhelmed sometimes? When you're overwhelmed by everything that's going on, it's easy to lose perspective. So sometimes we got to be reminded, and even for John, now listen, why would John have to be reminded? Well, think about where John is when this is being written. John, at this point, is the last apostle. This is about AD 90, so he's a very old man. He had been taken by the Roman authorities and boiled in oil as a form of execution and miraculously survived. Think about that. And so then to get rid of him, they stuck him on a barren island off the coast of what is today Turkey, Patmos, for him to be in exile. And it's while he's in exile that he sees the vision of the revelation. And so even he and you and I need to be reminded. And what do we need to be reminded of? Well, here it is. Before the events of the end are shared, we see where it all begins. This is the reality. The events of the end don't begin here, folks. When he's told to come up to heaven, you need to understand it's not a bureaucrat somewhere. It's not somebody's making a decision. It's not any of that. It's not by accident. It's not here. The decision for the end begins somewhere else. And where do we know that it begins? Where he's told to come and see, right? The very throne room of God. This is what we need to grasp a hold of. But listen, I'm telling you, when I talk to people today, for some reason today, when I talk to people, I talk to a lot of Christians, and the thing that's missing from them with everything that's going on around them is hope. is that somehow Jesus got off the throne. That somehow God is on a vacation, wherever he goes on a vacation to. Did you understand? That somehow this is all happening, and, and 
He doesn't know what's going on. Folks, John is taken to see what's going to take place, and where does he go? To the very place where it all starts, the very throne room of God. And when you look at this description, this is otherworldly, isn't it? He sees somebody on the throne, and all these elders and living creatures, and it's interesting, the description of the living creatures is just like the vision that Isaiah had when he saw the throne and the seraphim, the four angels with six wings, what, around the throne, saying the very same thing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's trying to tell us, to you and I, before the events are shared, we see where it begins, and here it is. We see that the end begins with the sovereign God. <clears throat> Do you want to see, you want to know who's in charge at the end? God. He's in charge of the end. Now, what's the implication of that? <clears throat> okay, what, here, here's the implication. Don't get freaked out. I hate election time. Why do you hate election time, George? Because the way people react after elections. It's like the end of the world has happened. Okay. But that didn't change anything for you as a Christian, right? Because who's in control still? No matter who gets elected. God. Now, it's interesting, though. Wait a minute. If you think about it, and if you read your Bible, you realize, like if you get to Jan Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, Daniel makes it very clear that the leader that you didn't care for who got elected was set up by God in the first place. Because he's the one who's in control. So where do you put your hope in? Not men but in the one who's on the throne. Because God is moving everything to what? To a point. Because he's wanting to bring about something with a special group of people. We talked about that last week. Who's that people? Israel. And so, it all begins with him. It begins with the sovereign God. And notice I use the word sovereign. What does that mean? He's the one in control. There is no other. Things just don't happen arbitrarily with him. So recognize that. That's the reminder. So then we see chapter 5. Because chapter 5 really tells you a lot. So let's look with me at chapter 5. We're going to focus on the first 13 verses of chapter 5. The only 13 verses of chapter 5, as well as chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Notice what he says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth and under earth was able to open the scroll 
or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain as with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering a myriad of the myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Chapter six, verse one. And now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. All right, now here's what I want you to see, folks. This is the reality. This is the where. This is the one that we need to talk about. When you talk about the God who's in control, we talk about this scroll. We're going to talk about that in a moment. We talk about the Lamb. He's the worthy one. What do I want us to see here? Four things. The judgment and events of the end belongs solely to God. Can I tell you that? The judgments and the events of the end belong to God. You and I need to rest in that. He is the one who's in control. When you see this scroll, the scroll that is listed there are the judgments of God. There, there are a series, the three series of judgments of God in this scroll. It's written on the front, and John knows that. He knows that what's there in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, in the right hand of God, are these judgments and events of what are going to take place. They're in God's hand. Remember in, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is asked when these things will take place, Jesus says, I, don't, I can't tell you. Only my Father knows when they will take place. He wasn't lying. God knows. Why? Because they're in his right hand. 
And at some point in the future, at some point, there's going to be a question. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Because opening the scroll, folks, means the execution of those judgments. It means the execution, the beginning of the end. And so the question is asked by a mighty angel. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? See, it belongs in God's hands. So when I look, I, I don't have to get freaked out. And trust me, folks, there are going to be things that freak us out, right? Probably more things that are going to come that are going to freak us out. Don't get freaked out because you belong to who, folks? The Lord. And you're his children. Why do we forget that nothing happens to us unless the Lord allow it to happen. Do you understand? This is the reality. And so when we talk about the end, it's in his hands, which brings us to the second point. Why was John crying? Here it is. God's people grieve the thought that justice will not take place. It's really easy when you look at this and you see he sees the scroll and the question is asked and, and the answer is there's nobody found that can open. Nobody on earth or in heaven. Nobody can do this. John weeps. Why is he weeping? Because let me tell you something, folks, about God's people. We can be a forgiving people, but we want somebody to set things right, don't we? Don't we? We can be a forgiving people, but we want someone to set things right. And we want the end to come to set all things right. Do you understand? And so here's the scroll that holds the judgment and the events. And it's asked, who's worthy to open it? And he's hearing there's nobody worthy. So he's grieving now because why? The justice that he wants. The rights to be made, the wrongs to be made right, people to be held accountable. Isn't that true? I mean, how many times have you heard somebody, oh, he'll never be held accountable? Really? Really? We want that. And so John is, is, is weeping before the Lord. Like, why isn't this taking place? What do you mean there's nobody worthy to open this? Until one of the elders says, whoa, whoa, whoa. calm down, buddy. That's a George Cannon way of saying it. Be at peace. There is one. It's the Lamb. The Lamb. What do you mean? I want you to notice with me. There is only one who is worthy to execute God's judgments on the earth. Only one. Who's that? The one who paid the price, who has been placed above everyone, that every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. That's Jesus Christ. He's the lamb who was slain. So when you see this description, even though it's covered with seven eyes and has seven horns, it's the lamb who was slain. Folks, who's the lamb who was slain? Behold, remember John, same John in his gospel. Behold the lamb who taketh away the sin of the world. It's our Savior. It's Jesus. He is the one who's worthy. My friends, I want you to understand, where does it begin? It begins in heaven. And it begins with Jesus executing the judgments when God says to him, here's the scroll. The end begins with him. It doesn't begin with a human being. 
It doesn't begin with some environmental crisis or whatever. It doesn't begin with anything except one person only who is in control, who is God, Jesus. He is the one who's worthy to execute the end. Why do we forget that? I, I, I think I got an idea why. I kind of realized it this morning in my own life. Not this morning, this week in my own life. And, and that is, I get so busy with life. I get so focused on everything that's going on. I get so inundated by everything I'm listening to, whether it's a podcast or looking at the news or listening to somebody talking in a conversation that I get all this information filtering in and it just feeds my anxiety and my worry. And, and then what happens is, is I lose perspective about the one who really is in control because I'm getting freaked out about something that I never even heard of before. And it's God who's in control. And I, well, how did I lose that perspective? Because... I didn't even take time to think, meditate, and pray. I didn't even take time. And I was, like I did that yesterday. I was, you know, I put a, you know, on our app, I put a, a verse up there from Proverbs about the heart of man plans his ways, but God establishes his steps. I, had to, I was going down to the farm yesterday, to, the, to, to my in-law's farm, to do some hunting in the afternoon, and I left the family early, so I'm driving down to Indiana County, and, and I thought, you know, instead of listening to music or listening to junk, why don't you meditate? Why don't you meditate on that verse? So I spent 20 minutes thinking about that verse, and what a blessing it was. I realized what God was trying to say to me through that verse. And then that led to other scriptures. And then I came away saying, okay, God, align me with what you want from this verse for my life. But I don't think we do that. I don't think we spend that time of God, time with God where he speaks to us and we speak to him so that when the stuff happens in our world, we lose focus. And the things we lose focus about is the one who's in control. And the one who's in control, the one that it all starts with, is the one who's my savior, Jesus. And he's the one who's worthy to execute the judgment. So then when you come to verse 1 of chapter 6, here's the reality. The lamb will start the time of God's judgments on the earth. Starts with Jesus. Starts with Jesus. So I want you to think about that. It starts with Jesus. So when we pray, which the church has for centuries prayed, 2,000 years prays, come Lord Jesus. What are we praying when we say that? Come, you're coming. What we're really asking him to do is start the end. Start it. Bring justice. Come back. Come back, Jesus. I didn't think you maybe even thought you realized you were praying that when you asked him to come, right? That's reality. He'll start the judgments. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, here's the focus, because next week we're going to get into it. We're going to get right into Daniel's 70th week next week. 
We're going to start off with the first four seals because I think they're significant and you need to understand because you might think we're living in it right now. Have you had anybody tell you that? We're in a tribulation right now. Anybody tell you that? I've had people tell me that. I can tell you right now. No, we have. We are not in it. And uh, the very first four are going to tell you why we're not in it. Yet. But then again, when it comes, it's because somebody started it, right? Who's the one who started it? Jesus. This is the reality. So what do we do with this, George? Okay, well, here's what we got to do. Here's the two practical things you can take home. All right, here's the first one. Quit getting freaked out. Quit getting freaked out. Nobody promised you in the scripture that life was going to be perfect and wonderful. Do you not realize that? Nobody promised you prosperity. Nobody promised you a perfect government. Nobody promised you a perfect land where everybody makes right decisions and everything goes well. You know that. That's been your whole life. But why do we think we've got this pie-in-the-sky idea that nobody, Scripture never promised you. In fact, if anything, Jesus told you, if you know me, it will be tough. It will be hard. You will be hated. Quit freaking out. Because when you freak out, you remove your eyes from the one that you need to have your eyes on and you focus on what? The stuff that you have no control over. And the dangerous thing, can I tell you what the dangerous thing is? And we're going to see this next week because the very first seal is a person who comes on a white horse. Only it's not the white horse of Jesus. It's the white horse of the Antichrist. And the reason why he's introduced first, because people get so upset by the chaos, they're looking for a Messiah. And Antichrist means false Messiah. And when you get so freaked out, you begin to focus on human beings to be the answer to your problem. And then that, my friends, is scary. Do you understand? Because no human being is able to do that. Have you not learned that yet? Have you not learned that human beings are corrupt, every single one of them, and there's only one perfect one? Who is that? Jesus. So quit freaking out. What do I do then? Get with the one who's in control. Connect with him. Find your relationship with him. Grow in that relationship with him. Now, what's our job as a church? To help you to do that. So what do we do? We give you things. Give you a prayer card and say, okay, let's pray for each other. This week, we're going to pray for each other. Tell you to use the Bible app. What? So you get in the Word. And, and, and guess what, the, what we're studying this week in the Word? Quit worrying. Quit worrying. Why do we gather at church? Not just so we can fulfill some religious obligation to the Lord. We gather here not just to hear God's Word, but we gather to interact with each other, right? Serve each other, encourage each other. What? As we face the things that we face in the world. Because you're not in this alone. But it starts somewhere. Where does it start? You getting with God.
so that the world can turn upside down. And it is. But you're rested on a rock. In fact, I thought it was interesting. Someone shared with me something recently that one of the ancient symbols of the church wasn't just the cross, was an anchor. When do you need an anchor? If you're a ship. Holds you steady in the midst of what? Storms, right? Where's your anchor? Folks, where it begins is in the very throne room of God with Jesus. Rest in that. Let me pray for you.